one of my group fitness instructors called me out. I was eating a Snickers bar like I did every day. And she goes, you can't run a gym. You can't be a trainer and look like that and eat like that. Your, your body's your billboard. And I said, two things. One, you're right. And two, I think you could lose weight too. And I Ooh. think I could lose it quicker than you. So let's have a bet. Ah. Well, it is the dog days of summer. Thank you so much for joining us for the Run the Race podcast. I'm your host extraordinaire, Jason Dennis, a local TV news anchor here in the Georgia and Alabama area, and uh, talking on a weekly basis about fitness and faith, uh, two things I'm very passionate about. And I hope you and your family and friends are staying safe wherever you are, not only amidst the COVID-19 pandemic, which is still uh, gripping our nation, our world, but also amidst the heat that we're seeing, uh, at least down here, um, it's been highs in the high 90s, uh, really all for the last week, and uh, very hot. And I wanted to tell you, um, uh, you know, first of all, I have a great guest on uh, talking about running, uh, Buddy Dutois, uh, talking about um, his, him overcoming alcoholism and now being a personal trainer at a local gym and a running coach and talks about the correct techniques and shoes uh, for being a runner and also, uh, you know, the keys to uh, working out and uh, being motivated to do that because we all need help with that uh, as gyms maybe reopen uh, in the last few months. Uh, But before I get to my interview with uh, our friend Buddy, uh, I wanted to tell you about my experience in the extreme heat uh, at a local race. Now, most races, most events around the world, around the U.S. have been canceled, but I did find one in my pursuit of running a marathon in all 50 states. I've been looking and looking and looking and, and did find one signed up for it. My son and I flew to Indianapolis for the eight-hour endurance race and relay. It was at the Hinkle Field House in Indianapolis, and uh, that is a well-known place for uh, where um, the final scenes from the movie Hoosiers, one of my favorite ones, was filmed, and also uh, where the real thing happened uh, You know, uh, about 50-some years ago. And so uh, we flew to Indianapolis, obviously had to wear the mask all throughout the airport, and through the uh, you know the flights to Indianapolis from Atlanta and back, and uh, so that was no problem. And where it were a mask pretty much throughout the tent village of that event. Indiana in very good shape now, where you can have groups of about 250 to gather, but everybody wore a mask there. All the participants, except for when you're running or walking, and this is how it works: it's an eight-hour endurance thing. So during those eight hours, you run, walk, or crawl really as far as you can. And um, so um, my goal was to do a 50K, which made me my first time doing that, which is around 31 and a half miles. But as long as I got to a marathon, 26.2 miles, it counts towards my 50 states goal. So let me tell you about what happened. This event by design is in mid-July in Indianapolis, maybe not as hot as Georgia, but it goes from 10 a.m. until 6 p.m. So that's really the hottest part of the day, uh, the hottest part of the year, mid-July. And um, so I was running right along and it was pretty hot, obviously out there and these loops of like two or three miles and you keep coming back to your tent and, and hydrating and everything else. And I ran about 15 miles the first three hours. So I was going at a pretty good pace. Then all of a sudden my quads uh, seized up and, and I had some cramps there that caused some pain. But what I was really dealing with was maybe some dehydration uh, because around mile 23, as I was walking and walking all these miles out in the heat and the 
Um, it, it was a heat index of 100 to 105 degrees for several hours. Uh, I think one of the hottest days in like two years in the state of Indiana. So uh, I thought I was dealing with heat exhaustion. I sat down on the trail about a, a half mile from Tent Village, getting back to where my Gatorades and waters were. And I, I was kind of losing my bearings and trying to figure out what's going on here and worried about, am I going to have a heat stroke? And am I going to be able to continue on? My quads are really hurting. So it's really about resilience. So I called on the name of Jesus. I said, just get me through this. Uh, let me just finish getting at least a marathon in. I'm not going to be able to get that 50K. So uh, let me tell you about the end of the story. So after that, uh, that you know, bout with potential heat exhaustion, I got back to the tent village safely. I chugged a whole Gatorade and I was fine. I, I was really hydrating as much as I could. I had probably about uh, you know a dozen or more uh, waters and Gatorades and at my tent, but I also had um, at water stations every mile. I was drinking a water, pouring it over my head, and ice everything else. So I ended up with 28 miles overall. So that's considered my first ultra marathon. Very proud of that, especially in those really extremely hot conditions, but they can be dangerous. So make sure to uh, heed the warnings, uh, whatever your body tells you. But I'm proud to say I did finish strong and, and a little woozy. But, uh, um, you know, I, I guess I learned the lessons that you I had to hydrate a bunch more before the days before or the the day before my race to, to have that tank full of water uh, for the future. And uh, but I'm excited to add Indiana to the list. It is my 12th state now to have run a, an official marathon in. And uh, one of the few events, one of the few races that is still going on. So uh, I'm glad to have uh, participated in that for sure. And speaking of running, my guest today is uh, Buddy Dutois, who has his BA from Columbus College, now known as Columbus State University. And um, he worked in parks and recreation for many years and then switched to uh, to fitness. He has uh, worked as a personal trainer first for Gold's Gym. Then he was an operations manager. And um, he, you know, uh, got led to, to Jesus, talks about that in our interview, and he got certified as a personal trainer with the National Academy of Sports Medicine, eventually starting the Columbus Youth Running Club. Helps a lot of young people learn how to run and, and run together. He also served as running coach and corrective exercise specialist with the 316th Cavalry at Fort Benning in 2015. And uh, then he has uh, been a manager for the Columbus Orange Theory Fitness for the last few years, which covers three different locations. Uh, he's paced many runners, uh, also all the way up to a 100-mile race, and he is a running coach now. He also attends uh, Cascade Hills Church. And uh, really his, his main goal and passion is helping people achieve their fitness goals and endurance events. And uh, he's definitely helped me and my son out and given us some tips along the way. So here's my conversation with Buddy Dutois. And joining us back on the podcast, uh, you were on previously with us talking about coronavirus, is Buddy Dutois. Thank you so much. Oh, yeah. Thank you. And thank you for... Um a different subject besides a virus. <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, first of all, um, I want to talk about how you have a lot of experience as a personal trainer for gyms and now as a regional manager. Um, you know, a, a lot of folks uh, may be intimidated by the gym and going uh, to whether it be Orange Theory Fitness, which you're a manager for now, or, you know, a, a traditional big box gym. Uh, what would you say to them, you know, in terms of how to kind of get started and, and without kind of going too far too fast? Um, the first thing I would say is make the decision to get started, whether you choose boutique fitness or a big box, um, go in and realize that you're making that decision 
for yourself. Uh, and, and I, and there's different reasons. I know that people feel intimidated and equipment can be part of it, but let me, to put everybody at ease right off the bat, when you go into the gym and you worry that everybody's looking at you, everyone else has those same fears. Nobody's looking at you. They're just going in there to do their workout. Um, so, so I encourage you to, to stop it, making the excuses and whatever you choose to do, get started. That's the first thing to do is get, just get moving. Yeah. Well, no, I have those fears as well. And, and I'm not a big fan of weights. I know that's needed to get strong in all parts of your body. And I do some of those, but I tend to kind of lean towards the group fitness classes because, you know, it's somebody just telling you what to do and you do it. And so that's kind of, you guys are focused on those, that group fitness, right? Correct. So um, there's a certified personal trainer that's part of every class and it's, it's class led by, by that trainer. And the good thing about that, as well as the heart rate monitor that you wear is you're seeing live time, you know, what heart rate zone you're training in. So you know that you're not overtraining, but conversely, you know, you're not undertraining. So you're not just going in there and walking on the treadmill at 3.0 and, and wondering why you're not getting results. Ultimately, it's a results business. And if we can't show results, then we don't, we don't really have much to work with. So, um, we, we do that. We actually have only place I've ever worked with where we have a money back guarantee where if you join and after the first month, if you're not happy, we'll give you your money back. So, yeah. And it's all about kind of pushing yourself to like the different zones, I guess the, the toppy and the red zone. I so think. yeah, red zone is, yeah. it's pretty intense. So the orange zone, um, if you go by the five colors, the orange zone is when you get to 84% of your max heart rate, 84 to 91 will get you in that orange zone. And the science says that if you can do that for 12 minutes over out of a one hour period, then over the next 24 to 36 hours, you'll burn incrementally more calories. So what's the importance of that for people who are amateur athletes or maybe they just want to lose some weight and get fit? The importance of pushing yourself, not just doing kind of the easy stuff, you know, every day when you go do a workout. Right. It's heart health. Um, the muscle that we can't see could could be one of the most important, is one of the most important. And um, So training it effectively and not overtraining it, both of those are, are key to it. And I want to get back into fitness a little bit, talking about um, your, um, you know, being a running coach and helping people meet their goals and, and their fitness dreams. But I wanted to um, talk a little bit about faith because um, you've had uh, a transformation and a journey when it comes to that as a Christian yourself. Tell me, take me back to, because um, I get you've had some, some dark periods like a lot of us have in our lives. Sure. Um, actually, I started off in, in parts and recreation after I graduated from college and, and I was not a Christian and I would... Um, I don't even know that I, I know I didn't live as if there was a God. I don't know if I thought there was one. I didn't put much thought into it. I had been in church with my parents. It's not that I was, it wasn't a foreign thing to me. Um, I would sit in church with my mom and that kind of thing, but I was not a Christian and I certainly wasn't living that way. And then when I got into fitness, um, so I moved to Gold's Gym. Uh, it was on Airport Thruway at the time. That was, there was Gold's Gym and there was um, North Columbus Athletic Club. Those were the two gyms in town. And, uh, I started as a personal trainer, and then when we opened the one on Tower Road or Veterans Parkway, um, which was a Gold's at the time, I went to the operations side, um, and I worked there for a few years. And then I decided that it was time to really clean up and, and get sober. So um, I stepped away from that for for a couple of years and and focused on on me, and um, was given an opportunity to work for a person who who I actually was picked out to train. So. Back up a little bit more. When I was at Gold's, um, Bill Purvis came through. He was he was friends with the owner, and he he said that he wanted me to work with him. And I realize now that he didn't really. It wasn't that he wanted me to work with him. I needed him 
to be to contact me. I needed him to be able to talk. But he's a pastor of a, one of the largest churches in Columbus, Georgia. Correct. And and I remember very early saying to him, you know, I know who you are, and and I I, I appreciate that, but we're here to work out. So I still had a little wall up. Um, and then you know it seemed like after maybe a month or two. I had a question that I asked him, and it was a question, a faith question. And he said, we're not here to talk about that. We're here to work out. And he used the takeaway clothes on me. It blew my mind. Um, <laughs> he gave it back to you. He did. But he obviously answered it at some point, and then, um, and then he, he led me in the prayer and, and ultimately led me to Jesus. So I'm now forever eternally grateful to him because I don't know that anybody else – I don't know that anybody else – could have had the ability to reach me. He had a story that was impactful, but also I felt like I wouldn't be judged because of him. Yeah. And you, you, you hear a lot of people and some people talk about it. Some people, you know, um, you know, obviously hide it very well, but drug and alcohol issues for you, you know, how did that, uh, was that something that was something that took a grip of your life as an alcoholic? Oh, absolutely. And you know, you know, you know it for a long time before you decide to do anything about it, I think. Um, and the other thing about, <clears throat> about that disease is nobody can tell you because a lot of people told me but nobody can tell you like you, you can't really hear it until until you hit whatever it is that's going to be your low or your bottom and um i'm always always grateful and thankful that that my low wasn't as low as others and and it was low and and i you know i broke up a family with it um i lost a house i went bankrupt i lost a lot but uh ultimately eternally that's going to be a huge difference for me because I don't know that I, I don't know that I would have ever found Jesus if I wouldn't have gotten so lost in that road. So yeah, what what lessons would you for the, those out there that maybe think okay, well I just drink you know have a drink every day or I have a, a drink in the morning or drink at night and and they don't think much of it and, and maybe they're going down that path where it's becoming something that that's maybe one of their only thoughts during the day. What would you what would be your message for them in terms of getting help or what to do next? Okay, so yeah, I would say first of all if you you know really early if it's a problem. You 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 know the the effect that alcohol has on you, it changes you quickly and early. And even if it even if the the bad things that you think of alcoholism don't come to fruition at first, deep down that person always knows that. And I would say when you realize that try to stop it as, as quickly as you can. I think the sooner that you're able to, to get a hold of it, um, the, the better off you are. And, and again, I battled it before I wanted to admit it for a long time. And, um, again, maybe not as, not as much as others, but, but enough that I ruined, ruined some things. So, um, yeah, get, get help, reach out and, and talk to people, especially now it's not, there's not even a stigma. There was, I guess earlier there was probably more of a stigma, but now, now there's not, um, it's interesting. One of the people who I was playing music and, um, I told him I'm going to rehab and, uh, and he, he was, he was accepting of that. And when I came back, he let me play again, but then he put a message out about somebody else that was having surgery. And I said, did you, did you send anything out to the, to the rest of the team about me when I went into treatment? He said, no, I would never do that. And I said, because, you can call it a disease, but in your mind, there's still that moral stigma. Sure. Because you didn't mind talking about the person that needed recovery from knee surgery. Yeah. But Buddy the Drunk, we're not going to talk about that. So there <laughs> is that stigma still. Sure, absolutely, yeah. And has your, your, your faith in God 
and maybe your family and support system and friends as well, how, how have they and, and, and your faith um, helped you to kind of stay away? Because, I mean, like sometimes, you know, you can have a relapse maybe even years later, you know. You absolutely can. And, what, you know, some of the things that I learned, um, it was a crazy story, but we learned when I was impatient about a doctor who achieved 21 years of sobriety and the first thought that went in his mind when he turned 21, like, I'm legal. And they found him a week later in a hotel room with empty bottles and he'd blown his brains out. Like it never, it's never something that you can let up on. Um, and, it, and, you know, and, and I went to AA and I did all those things at the beginning and 90 meetings and 90 days. And, and for me, the benchmark was I wanted to get to a year. The, the success rate of, of staying sober, if you got to a year, seems like they told me was like 85 to 90 percent. And before that, it was closer to 15 percent. It just jumps up when you hit a year. For for whatever reason, um, that meant something to me, and 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 I'm always going to be appreciative of that. But one of the other things I realized was that the amount of time that I was spending in that, I could spend in the Bible. I could get into community and church and that kind of thing. And so, you know, it became a lot more fun for me to go run and and do group runs or bike and that kind of thing, as opposed to sitting in a room and and hearing people. It can be a it can get to the point where you're you're talking so much about that one thing, you know, almost like the law of attraction. Like if I just sit here for an hour every day and talk about beer, I'm going to go want to drink a beer at some point. But if I, if I talk about Jesus or if I ride my bike and run, I'm in, I'm better shape, I think. So, yeah. And, uh, you know, you were a personal trainer, I guess, when all this was happening. Sure, or, yeah. So uh, how is coming out on the other side of, of you know, uh, quote, uh, drunk buddy, uh, coming out on the other side of that, how is fitness – um, change for you or maybe helped in the kind of healing process? Absolutely, the healing process. Again, it's anything, whether it's a, a good or a bad or destructive habit, um, habits habits are habits. So replacing that that going and drinking and partying with, with exercise and doing it ritualistically. Um, and I get up at 4 in the morning and I read my Bible first, and then 5 o'clock it's time to run. Um, and those are those are part of my days, and I tell my wife, you know, I back my day up as much as I can. So what time is everybody getting up? And people always say, so you get up that early on the weekend as well? And I go, when you have all the kids we have, you have to get your quiet time in before they wake up. Otherwise, it, it never happens. Because so. in your blended family, you have, is it seven kids? So we have seven total. They're not all at the house. So um, <laughs> Thank goodness. <right>? Yeah, <laughs> thankfully. Um, but we have seven total and six are girls, one's a boy. Our son is in Afghanistan uh, right now, but he also has two and a half children as well. So he's got a girl and a boy and one on the way. And then our oldest daughter has, has three and a stepson. So a lot of grandchildren, a lot of children. Um, so we do move around. We got softball. We have dance. We have different activities that we have to go to and be part of. And so again, you got to do those things for yourself early in the morning, wherever you can get them in. And if you would have told old buddy, okay, this is what's going to be your life now, and <laughs> with this family and and a healthy a lot of a group of kids and grandkids, I mean, he would have been probably pretty amazed. Wouldn't happen. It, I get up now at the time I used to come home, so it's it's almost a complete 180 as far as my clock now. <laughs> um, and we were talking about fitness, uh, how uh, you obviously worked as a personal trainer and then also uh, served as a running coach um, at Fort Benning for military, but also for just people of all walks of life here. Um, how did you get into being a running coach? I mean, was running something that you've always been involved with or good at or enjoyed? So. Baseball was what I enjoyed growing up. Gotcha. And when I turned 15, the coach 
said that we couldn't get on the field yet, so we were going to do we were just going to do fitness training for a couple of weeks. And he said we're going to run three miles a day. Fifteen year old buddy that knew everything said I'm not running three miles. Like the furthest I need to run in baseball is 90 feet, maybe 180 if I want to leg out a double. I don't need three miles. Running is usually punishment in most. It sports. was punishment, yeah. and so for me, I was going to be a rock star, and so beer and drums became the focus for the next few years, and um, and that just started it. There you go. <laughs> so I, I was 34, 35, fat, out of shape, and I was having a bet with with a group. I had gotten into fitness somehow <laughs> because of my recreation background. But sure. um, one of my group fitness instructors called me out. I was eating a Snickers bar like I did every day, and she goes, <laughs> you can't run a gym, you can't be a trainer, and look like that and eat like that. Your Your body's your billboard. And I said, two things. One, you're right, and two – I think you could lose weight too, and I Ooh. think I could lose it quicker than you, so let's have a bet. Ah. And it was a 12-week bet because I wanted 12 weeks, I think, in my opinion, you, you make a habit. So you right. have to do something for 12 weeks. And at the end of that, the caveat was you had to run three miles because going back to when I was 15, I'd always regretted giving up baseball because I didn't want to run. So I wanted to run three miles. At that point, I'd never run that far. And um, that's when I really started running. And then it just it really just took off from there. I really got into running. And as far as my addiction went, even when I wouldn't wouldn't run like I should, I might go run the the Peachtree Road Race just to say I'm a runner. So I don't run. I drink, 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 and then go run a 10K. And yeah. real real intelligent things I was doing. Good, good choices. <laughs> but now uh, coming out on the other side of that, I mean, do you, are you do you still run a lot now or or previously? I mean, 5Ks, marathons, ultras. What is your kind of specialty? I guess. I guess I like the ultras because you can run slow and you can eat. And and I, <laughs> I got into those really by accident. Um, I never tried to run fast and. Even with my running now, it's always about trying to help others. We started uh, um, the, the Columbus Roadrunners. We started a kids program for them a few years ago. And then, let's see, I want to say four years ago, my wife and I started Columbus Youth Running Club. And we did that to, as a couch to 5K, but for but for kids. And then as, as my career with Orange Theory um, just took off and there wasn't really that time to build the Columbus Youth Running Club, we took it to the school district. So now um, we've partnered with Muskogee County School District. There's 12 elementary schools, and, and we we have some people that help us, but we go and visit twice a week, and we usually do it in the mornings before school. Um, and there's enough evidence that, that running before school can help with test scores. It can help with um, – with behavior and those kind of things. So so we took it to them and um Coach Battles, the, the athletic director from Muskogee County, was was very was very gracious to let us do it within there and he actually um we don't even we don't even charge the kids. Um he pays a small stipend for our coaches to go out and do it. But um it it's it's something that's given given us the opportunity to, to give running back to the to the community. And what's been the reaction like from these kids, you know, of a pretty young age or is that uh something where um they've really kind of caught a hold of running even, you know, um, in elementary school or. Yeah, I think, I think when we're little kids, we don't realize running is a punishment till we get into organized sports <laughs> and it's used as a punishment. So I think in general, people like to run. And if you keep that, if you make that part of it, if you always make them, if you make it fun and you make them want to run a little bit more and you stop them, it's almost like when you train a dog to fetch and you throw the ball, then squeeze a the dog and don't let him get the ball. You're, you're actually, forcing that dog to want to go get the ball more so i think if you run with them make it fun and then stop it before they're really ready you make them want to come back for more so and as a running coach helping you know uh, teenagers kids adults as well um do you find that what is the some of the biggest things or questions that people ask is it dealing with injuries or how do i get faster or 
speed and breathing. Breathing seems to be one of those things that almost all the time, if I've done group runs of adults, I've done church groups, I've done, you know, I've paced with ultras and that kind of thing. And I always go, well, how do you work out the breathing part? And, and for me, it's conversational. Like when you run, run with somebody and have a conversation. Breathing is never something I really thought about or focused on. And it, things change as, as you really try to take that to the next level. I know your your son is a great runner. And so someone like that, when you're running hills, there's a technique. you got to run it correctly. And, you know, for me, it's breathe in two, out two, and I count my cadence on my steps. And so as I go up a hill, it probably almost sounds like I'm, like I'm overexerting, and I'm really not. But when I get to the top, I recover really quickly. So there are some, some techniques that go along with that. But breathing is one of those things that I've never really gotten caught up on, but it's <laughs> so many questions about. Yeah, and, and if whether maybe you're a competitor running the 400 or the 800 half mile or a 5K versus running like a, a half marathon, marathon or beyond, is there like where you, you're going to run really hard on those shorter distances and maybe the longer distances is more kind of, quote, conversational pace where you uh, want to make sure that it's more about the endurance? I guess there's a difference in those two uh, styles of running, right? There's an... There's a difference in that. There's also a difference in, in what the, the goal is of the runner. So if if you're trying to run a four-hour marathon, that's going to be a more of a conversational marathon. If you're trying to run a 310 marathon or a 245, then, then you're running, you're working with the same effort level that someone who's really trying to race a 5K. Yeah. we got people that don't have any interest in 5Ks but want to run a 5K to completion. So you have to take into account what the person actually wants and make sure that you're delivering to them what they're looking for. Now is, um, you know, we, we hear all the time about how, um, equipment can make a difference. You know, obviously, um, you don't want to get injured with, you know, people here, you hear all the time about, Oh, you're going to mess up your knees or your hips by running and there's form, but there's also like the right shoes. I mean, what, is there something that makes more of a difference with those injuries that, that you're, how you're running or the shoes you have on? So it's kind of combination. Yeah. It's kind of debatable. Um, and there are those you can get the stability shoes, or you can um, you can say I'm, I'm I'm a neutral runner, or I'm an overpronator. There's there's enough research now. If the running boom that started in the, mid, in the early 70s when Nike created that running shoe, um, if you look at the rate of incidence of injuries, it hasn't gone down since they put people in the stability shoes. So I think they're looking. I think the ACSM last guidelines I saw, which is the American College of Sports Medicine, just says running a neutral shoe let your let your foot move as it normally would, as God created your foot to move. Running a neutral shoe, but not a large drop. Um, the drop is the heel-to-toe ratio. So you want to go a 6-millimeter drop or less to get the most stable shoe that you can for your foot type. Now, obviously saying that, there are some people that it would be a severe overpronator, and an insert or a high-stability shoe would help them to some degree. But but for the, the normal public, as long as you have the cushioning that you need um, and, and run efficiently, um, John Teeples, who's one of the best runners that you're going to see, um, teaches a good form running class or, or has it at Big Dog, and, and I would encourage people to, to take part in that. But when he when he talks about the form, and that may not be sprinting form, but, but you can go run. You can run miles every day and really not beat your body up. You can do it efficiently. A lot of that really has to do with your stride length, and that's where most of us make the mistake at the beginning. And uh, we, you know, talked earlier about uh, briefly about the coronavirus and about how gyms had to shut down because of it and or change procedures and cleaning more, but also a lot of events getting canceled, big races, Boston Marathon, even the Kentucky Derby, but big races that people were going to participate in or endurance challenges, Spartan races. 
So uh, what would you tell folks about, you know, okay, what do you do now? I mean, my race, you know, from it's a couple months away is canceled or postponed. Um, how do you handle that as an athlete? Because, you know, you've trained up and you've kind of gone through that marathon training schedule perhaps. Um, so what would you tell like a runner, a client about, okay, what do I do now? Do I keep training or do I just try to keep motivated running? You know? Yeah, I think, I think you do keep training. Now you, you obviously adjust that if you're trying to peak for a specific race and you have a goal to really go out and, and do exceptionally well, then, then you're going to have to make those adjustments. But if you're using running as a fitness baseline, just for general health and to be in shape, there's no reason that you can't just keep running. And, and, and there's, Look, we all we all face adversity, and that, and that's how you grow, and that's how you get stronger. And and you don't know what's on the other side, but you know if you just hold on and still continue to do that race, that that you're going to be okay. Um, and 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 I heard a quote the end of last year that really got me to stop and think. But um, Jesse Isler said, "Goals are not negotiable." So if you have that goal, even if it even if it has to be on pause for a little while, it's still not negotiable. You still go out and finish that goal at some point. And goals, you know, a lot of people have those goals to lose weight. It's a big deal for a lot of folks, especially here in the South. Um, is Do you find, as somebody who helps people at the gym and running, um, that it, it, well, no matter what they choose to go to, to work out at a studio or go running, is weight loss a big motivator to do that, a, a primary one for a lot of folks? Absolutely, yeah. I, that's what it was for me. Um, and that's that's probably 90% of the population – very few people, there are the, the gods of iron gyms, there are the people that want to go in and bulk up, but they are the uh, absolute exception right now. Yeah. So is it, I mean, usually if you go, you know, three or four times a week to a gym or on a, just a, you know, a 30 minute run, does, is that shown maybe along with a better diet that it does effective a way to lose weight? Absolutely. Um, it, it works. Um, it's, <laughs> I'm sure people are going to push back, but, but at the end of the day, Reducing calories, you're going to lose weight. So, so if you eliminate 3,500 calories, is one pound. So, if you can eliminate 3,500 calories, whether that's diet and exercise together, however you do that, that's going to be one pound. And 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 it's not rocket science at that point. You just have to do it incrementally. But, but changing what you eat, um, diet, I still say is 80% of it. So, so eating well, um, it takes it takes some effort, but it's worth it. And then, you know, diet, exercise, it, it works. Or you can uh, be trained for marathons and eat what you want, right? <laughs> you can't. You absolutely can't. And then you can one step further is you can you can run all the marathons and and eat well and do it more efficiently right. as well. So you know, but but yeah, you can. I think Andre Agassi back in the '80s said you know um, something about Big Macs or. I guess the furnace will eat. Well, the furnace will cook a Big Mac if you heat it enough. So um, <laughs> if you work hard enough, you can burn off those calories as well. All those carbs, yeah. That's right. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, buddy. Thank you sure. so much for opening up, sharing about your uh, your faith and fitness journey, and we'll uh, we'll be seeing you out there soon. All right. Thanks. Appreciate it. And that was actually my uh, second time having Buddy on uh, the Run the Race podcast, which you can find on Spotify, uh, Apple, Google Play, Stitcher. And, and uh, go to the bottom of Apple Podcasts if you get a chance and uh, write a quick review. Give me five stars if you like the podcast. This is episode 32, hard to believe. But uh, Buddy, we had him on about four months ago talking about the Orange Theory uh, Fitness Gym that he manages shutting down because of COVID-19. And then uh, now, of course, they've been open back up for months now doing uh, group fitness and uh, I've tried it out. It's uh, it's challenging but it's uh, it really works and so uh, I encourage you to try different gyms 
out, try things at home. Uh, if you like running maybe or walking or team sports, just do something to be active and get out there and get moving for sure. Now to our final segments of this Run the Race podcast, including Food for Thought. And since our guest today, Buddy, talked about overcoming alcoholism and now being a running coach and personal trainer and, and a Christian, um, I wanted to kind of focus on um, you know drinking alcohol in some of our news tidbits for Food for Thought. Uh, in an uh, article from Fact Tank, which is news in the numbers, it talks about Americans' drinking habits, how they vary by faith. Because in the U.S., uh, if you're a religiously active person, you're less likely to drink alcohol than those that are not religious. And um, you, you hear teachings from, from uh, pastors and from the Bible and the Koran the, against the dangers of excessive drinking. But still, the relationship between religion and alcohol consumption is pretty you know, nuanced. And not all U.S. religious groups kind of uh, think of alcohol in the same degree, according to a Pew Research Center survey that was done back in 2015. In that survey, the results are that Half of U.S. adults, 51%, say they attend religious services at least once a month, and they report drinking alcohol in the past 30 days, according to the survey. That compares with roughly 62% among people who attend worship services less often or not at all. Now, alcohol does remain kind of part of the Christian religion in some indirect ways, from the gospel account of Jesus turning water into wine. You've got even, uh, you know, present day, you've got European monks who support themselves by brewing beer. And some even use wine, real wine, in some contemporary communion services. So different religious groups in the U.S. report different drinking habits. For example, among U.S. Christians, Catholics are more likely than Protestants to say they've consumed alcohol in the past uh, month. It's 60% compared to 51%. Adults who don't belong to any religion, they're more likely, 24%, than both Catholics and Protestants, who are about 15%, to have engaged in binge drinking in the past month. Now, among Americans without a religious affiliation, maybe agnostics, they're more likely to describe their religion as nothing in particular. They say they consumed alcohol, 76% of them, in the past 30 days. And so there's definitely a, a diversity of views here on the morality of alcohol. Catholics and Protestants are, t- are twice as likely as religiously unaffiliated Americans to say drinking is morally wrong, according to a, a separate survey done back in 2017. Men, more likely than women, to say they've had an alcoholic beverage in the past 30 days at 60% compared to 52%. And uh, in terms of young people, binge drinking, 3 in 10 respondents ages 18 to 29 say they've consumed alcohol in that quantity, binge drinking, in the past 30 days. But those younger adults, they're also more likely to identify themselves as having a religion. So some interesting uh, numbers there for sure. And on uh, the uh, fitness side of things when it comes to alcohol, uh, some may ask, will drinking destroy my fitness? That's a question that Men's Fitness Magazine asked and answered. And they say the fitness industry's anti-alcohol stance is really because of the nutritional or lack of nutrition contained in alcoholic beverages. So here's the science of it. The ethanol, the type of alcohol found in drinks, has uh, you know some toxic metabolic byproducts, and uh, they help create kind of a, that queasy, you nauseous feeling you get uh, when you've had too much. So chronic ingestion of alcohol can really mess with your digestion, uh, difficult for your body to absorb uh, nutrients and vitamins and things you need. One study also suggests two to three beers per day can lower your testosterone levels. 
alcoholic consumption also you know, maybe can mess up if you have a, a, a diet that you're trying to stick to. Many alcoholic drinks are very, uh, you know, uh, have calories and packed with sugar. If you're mixing that with energy drinks or juices um, and even maybe some wine, there's a lot, a lot of sugar out there. And also, let's not forget it impairs your judgment as well. Um, however, on the other side of things, if users are able to practice some moderation with alcohol, according to Men's Fitness, a drink or two on occasion will not really um, poison your body too much and make you uh, fat beyond repair. There are some studies actually suggesting that moderate alcohol consumption can provide some health benefits. So it uh, depends on what you uh, what you think of the things there and uh, if you decide to drink or not. A lot of Christians choose not to as part of their witness. And our parting gift today comes from the Bible. It says, so letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. That's from Romans 8, 6. And like Buddy was talking about, it's really making a choice in life. If I'm going to, am I going to follow my sin and, and my, my lust and my, you know, uh, pursuit of alcohol and drugs and things that are, that are not of God, not of the Bible, or am I going to let the Holy Spirit control my mind and, and give me more of a peace that's natural and not uh, from substances, perhaps. So that's our parting gift for today. We're going to close in prayer now. Dear God, uh, just thank you for, uh, first of all, getting me safely through that ultra marathon in the extreme heat uh, just a few days ago in Indianapolis. And uh, Lord God, we pray for everybody in this heat that we're um, seeing right now and across the South and the U.S. and also those dealing with COVID-19 as we continue to see the numbers go up and the, the, the death toll, and we pray for all those and then the family members and caregivers dealing with this right now. Lord God, that you will help give them peace and comfort and strength and wisdom of knowing what to do. And as people continue to be tested, we pray for our nation. We pray for our leaders. And uh, we just uh, pray that we're all able to be fit in this, uh, the way the world is today, uh, physically, mentally, and spiritually. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much again for joining us for this uh, Run the Race podcast. We're enjoying ourselves, and and uh, you know baseball is getting started. And uh, um, right now, uh, as this podcast is uh, going out live to everyone, Major League Baseball, we had a guest on uh, just earlier this month, uh, Kevin Jepson, a former Major League pitcher, talking about the state of baseball and and uh, some fun things that he's going through in terms of fitness and, and uh, as a family now. So you'll want to go back and listen to episode 31 when it comes to that. You can go to WTVM.com slash podcast to hear any of the previous episodes and uh, tell your friends about it. Use the hashtag run the race podcast and hope you guys have a great rest of July as a uh, summer. Uh, definitely we're in the heart of summer right now. So we'll see you later.